Chapter Eighteen of Stories of King Arthur and His Knights. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. Stories of King Arthur and His Knights by Hugh Waldo Cutler. Chapter Eighteen, Sir Tristram's First Battle. King Meliodas sought out a gentleman that was well learned and taught, and with him, named Governail, he sent young Tristram away from Lyonnais court into France, to learn the language and customs and deeds of arms. There he learned to be a harper passing all others of his time, and he also applied himself well to the gentlemanly art of hawking and hunting, for he that gentle is will draw unto him gentle qualities, and follow the customs of noble gentlemen. The old chronicle saith he adopted good methods for the chase, and the terms he used we have yet in hawking and hunting. Therefore the book of forest sports is called the book of Sir Tristram. When he well could speak the language, and had learned all that he might in that country, he came home again, and remained in Cornwall, until he was big and strong, of the age of nineteen years, and his father, King Meliodas, had great joy of him. Then it befell that King Anguish of Ireland sent to King Mark of Cornwall for the tribute long paid him, but now seven years behind. King Mark and his barons gave unto the messenger of Ireland the answer that they would no tribute pay, and bade him tell his king that if he wished tribute, he should send a trusty knight of his land to fight for it against another that Cornwall should find to defend its right. With this the messenger departed into Ireland. When King Anguish understood the answer, he was wonderfully wroth, and called unto him Samahus, the good and proved knight, brother unto the Queen of Ireland, and a knight of the round table, and said to him, Fair brother, I pray you go into Cornwall for my sake, and do battle for the tribute that of right we ought to have. Samahus was not loath to do battle for his king and his land, and in all haste he was fitted with all things that to him needed, and so he departed out of Ireland, and arrived in Cornwall, even fast by the castle of Tintagel. When King Mark understood that the good and noble Sir Knight Mahus was come to fight for Ireland, he made great sorrow, for he knew no knight that durst have ado with him. Sir Mahus remained on his ship, and every day he sent word unto King Mark that he should pay the tribute, or else find a champion to fight for it with him. Then they of Cornwall let make cries in every place, that what knight would fight to save the tribute should be rewarded, so that he should fare the better the term of his life. But no one came to do the battle, and some counselled King Mark to send to the court of King Arthur to seek Sir Launcelot of the Lake, that at that time was named for the marvellousest knight of all the world. Others said it were labour in vain to do so, because Sir Mahus was one of the knights of the round table, and any one of them would be loath to have ado with other. So the king and all his barons at the last agreed that it was no boot to seek any knight of the round table. Meanwhile came the language and the noise unto young Tristram, how Sir Mahus abode battle fast by Tintagel, and how King Mark could find no manner of knight to fight for him. Then Sir Tristram was wroth and so ashamed that there durst no knight in Cornwall have ado with Sir Mahus, and he went unto his father, King Meliodas, and said, Alas, that I am not made knight! If I were, I would engage with him. I pray you, give me leave to write to King Mark to be made knight by him. I will well, said the father, that ye be ruled as your courage will rule you. 
So Tristram went unto his uncle, who quickly gave him the order of knighthood, and anon sent a messenger unto Simahus, with letters that said he had found a young knight, ready to take the battle to the uttermost. Then in all haste King Mark had Sir Tristram horsed and armed, in the best manner that might be had, or gotten, for gold or silver, and he was put into a vessel, both his horse and he, and all that to him belonged both for his body and for his horse, to be taken to an island nigh Samahos' ships, where it was agreed that they should fight. And when King Mark and his barons beheld young Sir Tristram depart to fight for the right of Cornwall, there was neither man nor woman of honour, but wept to see so young a knight jeopard himself for their right. When Sir Tristram was arrived at the island, he commanded his servant Governail to bring his horse to the land and to dress his horse rightly, and then, when he was in the saddle, well apparelled, and his shield dressed upon his shoulder, he commanded Governail to go to his vessel again and return to King Mark. And upon thy life, said he, come thou not nigh this island till thou see me overcome or slain, or else that I win yonder knight. So either departed from other. When Samahus perceived this young knight seeking to encounter with himself, one of the most renowned knights of the world, he said, Fair sir, since thou hopest to win honour of me, I will let thee wit honour mayest thou none lose by me, if thou mayest stand me three strokes, for I let thee wit for my noble deeds, proved and seen, King Arthur made me knight of the table round. Then they put spears in rest, and ran together so fiercely that they smote either other down, horse and all. Anon they pulled out their swords and lashed together as men that were wild and courageous. Thus they fought more than half a day, and either was wounded passing sore, so that the blood ran down freshly from them upon the ground. By then Sir Tristram waxed more fresh than Sir Mahus, and better winded, and bigger, and with a mighty stroke he smote Sir Mahus upon the helm such a buffet, that it went through his helm and through the quaff of steel, and through the brain-pan, and the sword struck so fast in the helm and in his brain-pan, that Sir Tristram pulled thrice at his sword, or ever he might pull it out from his head. And there Mahus fell down on his knees, the edge of Tristram's sword left in his brain-pan. Suddenly Sir Mahus rose grovelling, and threw his sword and his shield from him, and so ran to his ships and fled his way, sore groaning. Anon he and his fellowship departed into Ireland, and as soon as he came to the king his brother, he had his wounds searched, and in his head was found a piece of Sir Tristram's sword. No surgeons might cure this wound, and so he died of Sir Tristram's sword. The piece of the sword the queen his sister kept ever with her, for she thought to be revenged if she might. Now turn we again unto Sir Tristram, that was sore wounded by a spear-thrust of Sir Mahus, so that he might scarcely stir. He sat down softly upon a little hill and bled fast. Then anon came Governail his man with his vessel, and Sir Tristram was quickly taken back into the castle of Tintagil. He was cared for in the best manner possible, but he lay there a month and more, and ever he was like to die of the stroke from Sir Mahus' spear, for, as the French book saith, the spear's head was envenomed. Then was King Mark passing heavy, and he sent after all manner of surgeons, but there was none that would promise him life. At last there came a right wise lady, and she said plainly that he should never be whole 
unless he went into the same country that the venom came from, and in that country he should be holpen, or else never. When King Mark understood that, he let provide for Sir Tristram a fair vessel, well victualled, and therein was put Sir Tristram and Governail with him. Sir Tristram took his harp with him, and so they put to sea to sail into Ireland. End of chapter 18